This show is brought to you by HelixSleep.com. Sleep is absolutely critical, especially as you get older, but no two people sleep alike. That's why Helix offers several different mattress models, each designed for specific sleep positions and preferences. Go to HelixSleep.com slash DailyWire and take their sleep quiz to find a mattress made for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a stomach sleeper, a hot sleeper, or a cold sleeper, Helix has you covered. I took the Helix sleep quiz and was matched with a Helix Midnight mattress because I want a medium firmness and a sleep on my side. So far, my new mattress is a godsend. Don't want to take my word for it, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Take the quiz and order the perfect mattress right to your door, shipped for free. It's so quick and fun to unbox, you won't believe how well you sleep. All Helix mattresses come with a 100-night trial and a 10- or 15-year warranty. Helix even offers financing options and flexible payment plans. A great night's sleep is just a few clicks away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailywire and use code helixpartner20. That's helixsleep.com slash dailywire, code helixpartner20. Well, 2024 has arrived. And before it gets fully underway, I'd like to pause and give you my predictions of what we can expect from this exciting new year. With the war in what used to be Ukraine turning sour for the future citizens of Russia and the war in what used to be Gaza spreading to encompass Lebanon, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Harvard University, AOC's fantasy life, a falafel stand on 53rd Street, the empty place in the minds of college students where knowledge would be if they had ever learned anything, and anywhere else where there are members of Hamas or supporters of Hamas or customers at the falafel stand who asked how much and it sort of sounded like Hamas, or anyone wearing one of those sinister black and white scarves who can't prove he's an extra in the remake of Lawrence of Arabia, or anyone who thought remaking Lawrence of Arabia was a good idea, I think we can expect China to seize this moment to invade Taiwan. The American military will, of course, respond immediately with a delightful transgender musical extravaganza featuring the Joint Chiefs of Staff forming a kick line in matching pleated lame gowns. During intermission, the Chinese army will take time out to enjoy a tasty falafel at the stand on 53rd Street after they finish invading New York City, where, of course, they'll be entirely wiped out by the Israelis. After that, the seventh seal will be opened, the sun will turn as black as sackcloth made from goat's hair, and the people will hide in caves, praying for death before they face the wrathful judgment of the Lamb of God. Then, in February, President and venal houseplant Joe Biden will suddenly sit up in bed and shout, ice cream, as he finally remembers the answer to the question, what's your favorite food, which Ryan Seacrest asked him on New Year's Eve. In April, Biden will announce that he will not run for re-election, but will instead lie in state after having passed away last July. Kamala Harris will also step aside after Mexico rewards her for the job she did securing the border by giving her her own cartel. Known by her Mexican nickname, El Stupido Beyond Believamente, Kamala will then make history by becoming the first sort of black sort of woman to run a multinational crime organization while being unable to spell fentanyl. After some inter-party jockeying, Gavin Newsom will become the Democrat candidate, running under the slogan, Let's Make Everything California, accompanied by a picture of a beautiful blue sky with a smiling sun shining down on a flaming toilet. Newsom will demonstrate his commitment to public safety by promising to make every American wear a mask unless he's looting a Walmart, in which case there's no need. Finally, in November, 
Donald Trump will be reelected president and will celebrate his victory by hanging a poster of Rita Hayworth on the wall of his prison cell and then disappearing without a trace until guards look behind the poster and realize Trump used a plastic spoon to dig a tunnel from the prison to the Oval Office. There, Trump will already be hard at work filling his administration with people who absolutely detest him and want to sabotage everything he does. Nevertheless, in his first hundred days, Trump will order the building of a spectacular new D.C. headquarters for the FBI so they can continue their important work of investigating Trump for crimes committed by Hillary Clinton. Trump will sign an executive order allowing trans women athletes to compete in pissing contests in ladies' rooms across the country, and he'll announce a second Operation Warp Speed to ramp up the manufacture of his perfect vaccine until Dr. Fauci announces the pandemic is over. Trump supporters, meanwhile, will celebrate Trump owning the libs by taking the perfect vaccine and then dying of heart attacks. In sports, we can look forward to NFL referees announcing that the Chiefs were offsides in last year's Super Bowl and the Eagles are now the 2023 champions. And leftist documentarian Charmaine Obeid Shinoy will direct a new feminist Star Wars film to prove that there's something even emptier than outer space namely theaters showing the new Star Wars film by leftist documentarian Charmaine oboid Shinoy. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Happy New Year. We are back laughing our way through this final year of the Republic. I hope you had a great pre-apocalypse uh, Christmas. Or if you celebrate Hanukkah, of course, I hope you converted to Christianity so you'll be ready for the return of Jesus directly after the show. <laughs> Subscribe to my, the Andrew Claven YouTube channel. This is my personal YouTube channel where you will get exclusive content, stuff that no one else gets, and stuff that you can get on Audible as well, on audio uh, feed as well, uh, like our interviews. This week we have Doug Douglas Wilson, uh, one of my favorite uh, Protestant theologians, a really interesting character. I really like him and uh, great to talk to him. And leave a comment there. And if the comment is absolutely morally reprehensible, we will read it on this show because that's what we do. That's who we are. And they talk about, you know, that's not who Americans are, it's who we are. We are just despicable. Uh, today's comment, a lot of the comments today, I have to say, we did a show with uh, my son, no relation, Spencer Clavin, and my daughter, Faith Moore, uh, our special uh, Christmas show, and it just got a lot of praise. And so I don't want to just read all these uh, very nice comments, but I will read this one from JJ97HS, said, how to save the culture, step one, exchange the Kardashians for the Clavens, and that's it. Uh, that would probably work, uh, though you'd have fewer shoes. Let us get to today's episode and stay out, Claudine. In all seriousness, or in as much seriousness as I'm capable of, I feel as we start 2024 that an age is passing away before our eyes. A cycle is passing away. And surprisingly, I actually feel I've been on the winning side of every fight that I've fought. The left is losing and has lost its monopoly on information, on prestige, and even on culture. And the question is, as they start to lose power, how violent is the transition to a new cycle going to be? And will conservatives come up with a positive new vision for the future, which is still an open question? So let's take a big a step back and take a look at the big picture of what's in store for 24 with Chapter 1, Where We At. 
so I was just talking to the folks in the advertising department, and they were telling me that balance of nature, fruits and veggies, are changing the people's blood work. They're getting, they're going to the doctor and getting better blood work because they're taking balance of nature, fruits and veggies, a great way to make sure you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Balance of nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and vegetables into whole food supplements without sacrificing their natural antioxidants. So I asked the people in the ad department to send them to me. I'm going to try using them. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in balance of nature's fruit and veggie capsules are fruits and veggies. Right now, not only will my listeners get 35% off your first order, you'll now get a free fiber and spice supplement as well. Balance of Nature's Fiber and Spice Supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. Everybody in the office loves this stuff. They're taking it all the time. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and vegetables. Experience Balance of Nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code CLAVEN. You'll get 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code CLAVEN for 35% off your first preferred order. Plus, a free bottle of fiber and spice. And you know you're asking, how do you spell Balance of nature. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. In this show, there are no E's in anything. There are no E's in So obviously, as we look ahead at the year, the big event we're looking at is the election. Uh, first, the disastrous Ukraine surrender, then the Middle East becoming World War III, followed by the apocalypse and the second coming, and then the election. And we'll have more information after the Iowa caucuses, which are the 15th, I believe. But right now, it looks like it's going to be Donald Trump. He looks like he's just so far ahead, no one can catch him, just the way it looks, versus whoever it is that replaces Biden. I do not think it can be Biden all the way. He may get the most uh, delegates. He may be set for the nomination. I do not believe he can run. I don't know if you saw this moment with Ryan Seacrest that I was joking about in the opening at New Year's. He did a basic softball interview, which is what you expect in this thing. It's not not like he was supposed to hammer him, but he's asking him about the food he eats. He's cut one. I'm curious, what sort of holiday foods have you been enjoying over the last few days? Well, I've been eating everything that's put in front of me. I've eaten <laughs> pasta, which I love. Yeah. eaten a lot of chicken, chicken parmesan. I've been eating all, all Italian foods, basically. And ice cream. And ice cream. Chocolate chip ice cream. I can't remember that that's his signature. It was like watching, it was like watching a five-year-old step up to a wiffle ball on a plastic tee and missing it. You know, it's just like a guy is just not all there anymore. But if you think about it, you know, I'm a novelist, so if you think about it novelistically or metaphorically, Biden is actually the perfect representative of this moment in Western culture. It, it, this is a cycle that is done, and he's done. He's old, he's corrupt, he has dementia, he doesn't know anything. He's the embodiment of the current iteration of Western civilization. This cycle is coming to an end. And, you know, when you talk about this, you have to really step back pretty far to get a good look at it. And one of the real triumphs of the left's takeover of our learning institutions and of our media, both our news media and our entertainment media, is we now have a generation of some of the deepest ignorance I've ever seen. It's induced 
ignorance. And it's not just that young people think good is evil and evil is good. Their imaginations are barren because they have no reference points, no historical, factual reference points to base their ideas off of. They can't conceive of what things are actually like, especially for other people, which of course is the foundation of all morality. When I talk about the great speculation that other people have an inner life that's just as important to them as yours is to you, and that yours and theirs are equally important to God, they they can't do that because they don't have any facts in their head. I just want to play, I'm not going to get into the whole Israel thing, but here's a Columbia student. After October 7th, I got this off the Chris Kenny show on Sky News in Australia. After October 7th, at a meeting meant to celebrate the unbearable, unthinkable atrocities that Hamas committed. And I just put this forward, not about the issue itself, but just to show you how ignorant our young people are. And it's induced ignorance. They were taught, schooled in ignorance by leftist professors and the administrations that support them. Here's what she says. On October 7th, the Palestinian liberation fighters demonstrated their refusal to be dominated. They showed the world that the Palestinian people will fight for freedom instead of quietly adapting to subjugation. They showed us that through creativity, determination, and combined strength, the masses can accomplish great feats. A fact we have seen in every heroic struggle for liberation from Vietnam to Afghanistan. So she's praising, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but she's praising the creativity of the freedom fighters of Hamas, who, if she had been there, would have raped her to death while cutting her body into little pieces at the same time. That's what they would have done to her with their creativity and determination. Uh, she, prays, she calls this a, a triumph like Vietnam, where the Victory of the communists led to the murder of two million people at least. And these weren't rich people. These were just peasants. They were ordinary Vietnamese and Cambodian people who didn't know Karl Marx from Groucho. I mean, they just were not got in the way of the communists. She talks about Afghanistan, where they have shut down the education of children. And then, uh, unbelievably, she quotes Mao as if he were a wise, important leader the greatest mass murderer of the 20th century, which was the century of mass murder, 65 million people slaughtered because of Mao's policies. And she's quoting him, no, dare to struggle, dare to win. Win what? I mean, win that much death. It's an, it's really as if, it's like going to Silence of the Lambs and thinking Hannibal Lecter is the hero of the movie. This is a product of Columbia University, one of our prestigious Ivy League universities. And it's not just her. It's, it's all the young people. If you're not reading books, if you're not listening to me and Spencer Clavin, no relation, uh, talking about the great works, if you're not reading Chris Rufo's book and Michael Knowles' book about how the left took over our civilization— uh, then you're just being mesmerized constantly by the latest flashing light of atrocity on X, you know, on formerly Twitter. Uh, oh, you know, they're saying men can be women. They're, they're flooding the country with illegals. They're doing this, they're doing that. All true, all bad. But if you don't talk about the culture, the, the culture is a vessel carrying the greater truth of your, the civilization that you live in beyond the moment. It tells, it teaches you history. It teaches you what other people feel like. Uh, it gives you something in your mind so you can start to imagine where the right lies, where morality lies. You know, when Claudine Gay resigned at Harvard as president of Harvard, and I'll talk about that in a minute, I posted on X that her resignation letter, she was accused of plagiarism, and I posted on X that her resignation letter said, it's a far, far better thing I do than I've ever done. It's a far, far better rest I go to than I have ever known. Of course, it was a joke. 
about the tale of two cities. That is one of the most famous lines in all of British literature and all of English language literature. It's probably up there with to be or not to be. Uh, and people just didn't know what I was talking, not everybody, but some people didn't know what I was talking about. And if you haven't read Tale of Two Cities or something like it, you don't realize that the French Revolution was not just full of atrocities by, by the revolutionaries. It was also preceded by oppression and starvation by the king and by the monarchs there. Uh, there's no good side and bad side. Things went bad and gave the revolutionaries excuses to do what they did, just like you should read Wild Swans, a wonderful, wonderful book by, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Yung Chang, I think, which shows you that before there was Mao and his mass murder of 65 million people, there was corruption and oppression there. These are the things that teach you how to see the world in three dimensions. And these people, and remember, these are our college students at elite universities. This is not the ordinary guy whose job it just is to do his job. These are people who are supposed to be being taught to think have none of this inside their heads, so they have no way to think. This is a real triumph of the left over the minds of Americans, and especially young Americans. So I'm going to talk about something that is historical in the sense that it happened within my lifetime, and I've talked about it many, many times before and how important it is, but it's to give you a sense of what I think this moment is, is really about. Yesterday, I believe it was, was the 59th anniversary of what is called the Great Society. That's the series of welfare state programs put into place by Lyndon Baines Johnson after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I always hear young people say, well, you know, old man, you boomer, we don't care where JFK was when he was, you know, we don't care where you were when JFK was assassinated. Fine. But this is something that happened after he was assassinated that probably wouldn't have happened had he not been. This incredible series of welfare programs that were supposed to bring equity to our financial life and especially supposed to help poor blacks become equal with the with white society. It was supposed to bring them after the Jim Crow era. It was supposed to bring them up and make them equitable. Well, in fact, it they didn't work. They didn't work. You know, my favorite writer at the Wall Street Journal is this guy, Barton Swaim, and he was writing about this. And this is how I know a writer. I've been talking about the great society and its failure for at least 10, maybe 15 years. When I see a writer who 10 or 15 years after I start talking about something catches up with me, I know I'm dealing with one of the second smartest people in, in America. <laughs> I just said that to annoy my wife. But, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, this is, this is really important. He talks about the fact that the black poverty rate was declining dramatically from 1940 to 1960. And then after the Great Society, it stopped. The welfare state failed. The Great Society failed. All those programs that were put in place that Donald Trump has promised not to cut, they failed. And not only did they stop the progress of blacks into the middle class, they destroyed the black family by subsidizing, subsidizing single motherhood while the feminists sat by and said, well, who cares? A, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle because they were socialists too. It failed. It hurt black people. It enslaved the poor to government largesse. But at the same time, it created its own economy that uplifted the deep state bureauc bureaucrats and the Democrats who had this money to both give out to their voters and to promise their voters they would increase. There was another article in the Wall Street Journal by Alyssa Finley talks about the welfare industrial state. There's, there's new um, unemployment numbers came out, but the unemployment rate is still pretty good. It's around 3.7%. 
but a growing welfare industrial complex beneath the seemingly strong labor market, says Alyssa Finley, government social assistance and healthcare account for 56% of the 2.8 million net new jobs over the past year, and for nearly all gains in blue states such as New York and Illinois. If you get rid of the welfare state, which has ruined the lives of black people, ruined the neighborhoods, the families of black people, increased the crime rate. Black people weren't, you know, always a criminal class, which so many of them are right now. This was created by policy. It was created by policy, put into place 59, 60 years ago this week. And yet, at the same time, the people who depend on that money are addicted to it, and the people who depend on doling out that money and those jobs, because patronage is where political power comes from, depend on it. So the entire blue economy is supported by a failed system of stealing from makers to give to takers, and the people who are taking that money are addicted to it, and the people who have the power to build it out don't want to give it up. Power is addictive. Money is addictive. And so when you say get rid of the great society because it has failed, what do they say to you? We all know. They say you're a racist. And you say, well, no, the police arrest black people because of high crime and Harvard doesn't let black people in because their grades aren't good. Well, you're a racist. Well, the police have to be defunded. You have to be shut up. You have to be taken off social media. We have to make white people dumber. We have to stop giving them special classes because otherwise black people are just so... This is what they're thinking. Black people are just so naturally dumb they can't keep up. Instead of saying, oh, our policies that have made us rich and them poor, that have made us secure and powerful while it has destroyed their families, those policies have to be taken away. And if you say, well, what about Jews? People hated Jews and they did well. Oh, those Jews, they're really white and they're worse than white because they're Jews, you know? (laughs) And what's hilarious is there are people on the right, these groipers who are like uh, centipedes who come out from under the rock anytime you say, oh, there's a Jew, you know, they're actually on the side of the left. Everybody can get together and hate the Jews. Uh, You know, Tucker Carlson is playing into this. I I really hate to say this because I like Tucker, but I I don't know what he's doing now. Uh, He was attacking Ben Shapiro is not caring about America. And I I know people are going to say, oh, well, you're friends with Ben and he runs this uh, institution that you work for and all this stuff. Really, if anybody who knows me knows, I could could care less. Ben knows because Ben knows what I'll say to his face. You know, I care about, I'm an artist, so I care about the arts. So I talk about the arts all the time. Ben is an Orthodox Jew, so he talks about the Jews a lot. But these are important subjects. So we give you with the Daily Wire different aspects of the same situation. And you get, that's where you get a three-dimensional point of view. It's funny. All of this stuff is funny coming from Catholics who are routinely accused of dual loyalty to the Vatican uh, and not being faithful to America. Anyway, anyway, my point is this. My point is this that this system of charity has failed for everybody, but the people who dole it out and those people who are now addicted to it, even though it has destroyed their families. This is a failure of the West's trajectory for the last 60 years. You know, we talk a lot, of the, the right is worried about globalization. They're always talking about Davos, and they're going to try to globalize. And, they're, and there's truth to that. I'm not saying there's not. But that globalization is really Western hegemony in disguise. What they're really talking about is this leftist idea being imposed on the entire world because they can't admit that it failed. It failed. Utterly. There's nothing good about it. 
There is nothing good about the Great Society. It was an utter, utter failure. This redistribution of wealth always does the same thing. It bleeds the middle class. It destroys the morality of the people. It destroys the independence of the people. And I'm not saying there should be no welfare state, but the Great Society is great. This failed ethos, what they keep doing is they keep moving the goalpost. They say, well, it can't be the welfare that's making black people, destroying black people's family. It must be the racism. Well, now we have to have equity where if you don't hire three black people when you hire three white people, you got to do that because it's, we can't say this failed because my job depends on it not having failed. It is all about this failure. And you know, this is something that happens in your personal life too. This is how the devil gets you, right? You have an abortion or you trans your kid and he has an operation that you can't take back. And you start to realize this is wrong, but you can't face what you've done. There's no way to make it right. So you can't face the shame and the guilt that you feel. So you have to keep saying, no, it's great. Shout your abortion. Anybody who says I shouldn't trans my kid is transphobic. It's the same thing, you know, with the Democrats. They see cops uh, getting into tangles with black people because the black uh, communities are so high crime that when the police tangle with people, there's going to be a lot of black people that they tangle with. They blame the cops. They blame the cops. They let people burn down cities. They say, we've got to change everything. Instead of saying, we've got to change the one thing that took the fathers out of the houses of black families and made the, their, those families conducive to more crime because families without fathers are, in fact, more likely to produce children who are criminals. So, you know, that's how the devil gets you. You have to pretend you're glad you castrated your son. You have to shout your abortion. You have to say, no, no, no. Anybody who attacks the great society is clearly a racist. And anybody who shows up on time for work, anybody who works hard, anybody who wakes up early, anybody who does all the things that work and that make people productive, they've got to stop because that's white privilege, my friend. That is, you know, this kind of privilege. And what we're looking at right this minute is the complete you know, instead of what you got to say, we all have to say when we do things that are wrong, because we've all been, done things that are wrong and can't be fixed, you have to say, merciful God, forgive me so that I can move on and do something else. This is the collapse, what we're looking at right this minute, right now in front of you, even though, you know, the election is in doubt, even though the culture is still strongly dominated by the left, we are watching the failure of the great society for everyone except those people who profited off it. And those are the people who are drenched in the blood of the unborn and the destruction of black families and the ruined happiness of women and children, you know, but they have power and money to show for that and they don't want to let go. So the question before us as we enter 2024 and as this election is going to tell the tale and as many other things are going to tell the tale, as I'll talk about in a moment, the question we're facing is twofold. Can we wrest power from these failures without violence? Because folks, I do not think the Republic will survive a civil war. I hear people saying, well, we have to get our guns. And I think, you know, no, you're going to have to find a better way to win. You're going to have to find a better way to win because the Republic will not be there when the smoke clears. And I don't think the world will survive a, a world war or World War III. I think that will set us back so far that we will never reestablish the country that we're trying to uh, reestablish. Can we admit our own errors and our own bigotry and our own corruption and come up with new fresh, bright ideas that will make America great again. Beams Dream Powder. I love this stuff. I tried it myself because, you know, I don't sleep. Nothing 
short of, you know, dying is going to make me sleep more than three or four hours a night. But this thing put me right out. It's a powerful, all-natural blend of ingredients, including magnesium L-theanine. I looked all of these ingredients up when they brought this to me, and they all are things that really do help you sleep. It's not just your run-of-the-mill sleep aid. It's a concoction carefully crafted to help you slip into the sweet embrace of rest. That's what it did for me. I slipped into the sweet embrace of rest and woke up without the grogginess that often accompanies other sleep remedies. Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health. You must have a consistent nighttime routine to function at your best. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beans Dream Powder, their best-selling hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious flavors like cinnamon cocoa, chocolate peanut butter, and mint chip. Better sleep has never tasted better. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir or froth. I frothed it. I have one of these frothing things they send you. It was great. And enjoy before bedtime. If you find yourself battling the bedtime blues, give it a shot. Your weary self will thank you. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, take advantage of their New Year's sale for 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Clavin. Use code Clavin at checkout. That's shop. B-E-A-M dot com slash Claven with my promo code Claven for up to 40% off your order. And I know what you're saying. Beam is four letters. I can spell that. But Claven, how do you spell Claven? Chapter two, Chris Rufo for president. So in the same way, Joe Biden is the perfect novelistic representation of the failure of the great society and this cycle of Western civilization, this iteration of Western liberal ideas. The resignation of Claudine Gay from the Harvard presidency is a perfect novelistic narrative telling the story of of the end game of the great society, DEI right? DEI, one of the stupidest ideas, racial and sexual bigotry made into a program, hate on white men, cut white men down if they're achieving too much, and Jews certainly uh, elevate anybody by the color of his skin or by gender or by some fantastic uh, idea of oppression. Uh, She is the emanation of that She's a mediocrity. Uh, she rose because of her skin color and her politics. She's The only way she's not a mediocrity is that she gathered power around that DEI. She, she mobilized DEI for her use as, as to bully people and to get rid of anybody who objected to the garbage she was selling. And I just want to point out that she was backed, even at the end, even after all her wrongdoing was exposed, she was backed by the sinister, behind-the-scenes, anti-American, anti-colonial, Jew-hating puppet master, Barack Obama, or whoever Barack Obama represents. You know, Claudine Gay used her power to dename any place that was named after anyone who was, was perceived to require racial reckoning. These are her words. Anyone who was perceived to re- require uh, payback for racial sins of the past. She built this DEI bureaucracy that she used to punish and slander and ruin or damage the careers of people who disagreed with her. And she was a plagiarist, as Chris Rufo of the Manhattan Institute proved beyond a shadow of a doubt. Here is a, a line under Gay's leadership said Avi Loeb 
a theoretical physicist in Harvard's Department of Astronomy, the mandate of the administrative state of the university continued to expand and shift from serving faculty to monitoring them. This is just a physicist who's just talking about the culture at uh, Harvard. He said the message was don't deviate from what they find to be appropriate. It became more of a police organization. And she had to resign because of Chris's work and because donors, especially this Hudge hedge fund guy, Bill Ackman, uh, they threatened to withhold a billion dollars if they didn't get rid of her. And this was because uh, her testimony in Congress before Elise Stefanik, where she couldn't gather the wherewithal to say it might be a bad idea to suggest the slaughter uh, of Jews. They got rid of her, but they're still paying her her $900,000 salary. So she's still on SAF. She's not uh, the presidency. And they're just the screaming from the left about the racism, the stuff they are saying about Chris Rufo is hilarious. One guy accused him of being a Russian spy. He got his degree from Harvard, from a outward school that is commissioned to give Harvard degrees. And they said, well, that's not a real Harvard degree. My favorite, the, my favorite one. Oh, this is the other thing. They can't say the word plagiarism. They say, it's a, why, why are you saying plagiarism? Why is plagiarism so bad? It's such an ugly, it's like blackmail. It's an ugly word. Plagiarism, it's an ugly word. Let's call it unacknowledged semiositude, you know, <laughs> call it unascribed similarissimus. The woman was a plagiarist. It, it comes from a Latin word meaning to kidnap. It's a serious thing for an intellectual to do, to steal other people's ideas, not once, not by accident, but repeatedly, provably. So they come after Chris Rufo. And my favorite thing they say is, uh, is the AP accused him uh, he said, I got a scalp. You know, this is a routine thing that people say in politics. I got a scalp. So the AP said uh, it was as if Claudine Gay were a trophy of violence. In this is the Associated Press invoking a gruesome practice taken up by white colonists who sought to eradicate Native Americans and also used by some tribes against their enemies, which is where the colonists learned it. They learned to fight the way the Indians fight by, by scalping people. So now Chris Rufo is an Indian. They're basically accusing him of being a savage. They, you know, this is, this is the Associated Press sent out somebody to deal with Chris Rufo. Uh, this is what happened. This is scene uh, uh, clip five. Why don't you finish the job? What good did that do you? By what you preach, none. But what that Comanche believes, ain't got no eyes, he can't enter the spirit land, has to wander forever between the winds. And thank God the AP shot out Chris Rufo's eyes, now he has to wander forever between the winds. Here's the important thing about Chris Rufo, if for, in re, for real. He is one of the most civil, polite, considered, thoughtful, hardworking people I know he got her because his reporting was excellent and irrefutable. That's why the Times put out an op-ed saying she has to go. That's why finally anybody with any journalistic conscience at all had to say, you know, he's got a point because he did the work. He got it done. He had the kind of knowledge and insight and information that made it possible for him to act with style, with class, with politeness. You know, aggression, rudeness are the tools of people who are secretly afraid because they haven't got the goods. 
Rufo gets the goods and he, he remains calm always. You can watch him on YouTube. He remains calm. He remains polite. He remains civil. Another guy who's good at this, by the way, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, he just dissected a Washington Post reporter. He got an endorsement from Steve King, the former Iowa congressman who was attacked by the press as being a white supremacist. And Vivek just said, you know, screw the press. Steve King is a good guy. He's not in Congress anymore. And the Washington Post reporter asks him to reject white supremacy because whatever any Republican says, all Republicans are responsible for. And they politely, but certainly and knowledgeably takes her apart. This is cut four. Stop picking on this farce of some figment that exists at some infinitesimally small fringe of the American public today to open our eyes to the actual real threats that we face. And I think that it's frankly questions and framings like that that has caused the American public to lose all trust in the mainstream media, I'm sorry to say, for good reason. I'm not I'm not going to recite some catechism for you. I'm against vicious racial discrimination in this country. So I'm not pledging allegiance to your new religion of modern wokeism, which absolutely fits fits the test. I'm not going to bend the knee to your religion. I'm sorry. I'm not asking you to bend the knee to mine and I'm not going to bend the knee to yours. But do I condemn vicious racial discrimination? Yes, I do. Am I going to play your silly game of gotcha? No, I'm not. And frankly, this is why people have lost trust. And I know you're going to go print the headline tomorrow. I already know this. We already know how your game works. Vivek Ramaswamy refuses to condemn white supremacy because you asked a stupid question. The reality is I condemn vicious racial discrimination in this country, but the kind of vicious and systematic racial discrimination we see today is discrimination on the basis of race in a very different direction. See, this, he did this with another Ruapo reporter, and the woman just fell absolutely apart because he was taking away her, her little crutch of fantasy. But this is why, you know, I think Donald Trump is going to be the nominee for the Republicans. And I think there are reasons for that, and I'll, I'll talk about it in a minute. I think it's a mistake. I think Donald Trump made Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Rufo to a degree possible. Uh, he's the one who dragged these journalists out from behind their pretense of being journalists and showed them for the partisan corporate hacks they are. And it's, it's, it's one of the worst. He, he, Trump was right. They're the enemy of the people. But he couldn't do it because of his rudeness, because of his lack of the kind of knowledge that Ramaswamy has and that Chris Rufo has. He couldn't do it in such a way that he convinced the people who hate him that he was right. He just couldn't do it. He didn't have what it takes to do it. And I don't think he has what it takes. I don't think he has the organizational ability. I don't think he has the knowledge. I don't think he has the uh, actual inner core to do the thing, to win to win for conservatives. I don't think he is a conservative. And I think the only reason he was a conservative was before was because the left gave him nowhere to go on the left. They hated him so much. So he went to the right. But now he's talking about how the FBI headquarters should get a great spectacular headquarters in Washington when they obviously need to be gutted and entirely reformed. He talks about how, you know, he he wants uh, transgender people. He doesn't, you know, they can use the, the uh, ladies room even if they're not ladies. Uh, you know, the thing about Trump and the reason I think he's going to win, and, I, you know, it's not because Ron DeSantis has run a bad campaign. His campaign is, has been chaotic, but it's gotten much, much better. It, it's not that. People like Trump. They want Trump. The base wants Trump. And they want him because he's not really a philosophy. He's a feeling. The thing about the people, you know, is that they're, they're kind of... <laughs> 
<laughs> no, this, this should get me in trouble. They, they, they're kind of like t- talking to women, you know, when women explain things to you. You don't listen to the, their reasoning because that way madness lies. You listen to what they're actually trying to communicate to you. And when the people send Donald Trump, it's not because of what he's saying. It's because of the way he acts and the fact that they feel dissed, they feel excluded, they feel undermined, rightly so. And he's their way of saying F you, you know, you don't like it. Here's Donald Trump. And I hope you like it. You know, and I think that that that's, you know, populism for you. And the hatred of Trump on the intellectual right, by the way, is a reaction to their failure, the failure of the Bushes and the failure of the neocons and the Ayn Randers who didn't conserve a single damn thing and just patted themselves on the back for being virtuous and right, just like the left did. They pat themselves on the back even while they failed. Trump broke the glass. I don't think he has the organizational uh, political mind to finish the job as we need it to be finished. So this is what I mean when I say there's going to be a transition, but it may not be a transition to the right because the people, even when they're irrational, get the final word. Here is a resolution that's easy to keep and delivers immediately on its promise. With GenuCell skincare, you can turn back the clock and look 5, 10, or even 15 years younger. Right now, GenuCell Skincare is celebrating 2024 with its New Year's sales event. You'll save over 70% off all your GenuCell must-haves in their most popular package. Say goodbye to those fine lines, forehead wrinkles, sagging jawline, dark marks, skin redness, and even under-eye bags. Leave them in 2023. GenuCell works for women and men. It's safe for all skin types. It's perfect for skin of any age. Plus, with its immediate effects, GenuCell promises results that will make you smile, guaranteed, or 100% of your money back. And right now, for a limited time, GenuCell's top-selling hyaluronic acid serum is included free in every most popular package. Again, I was talking to the people, the ladies in the advertising department, and they said to me, oh, yeah, we're using this stuff. We're all using it. It's great. We've never seen anything like it. They can't get enough. Let me tell you, we have beautiful ladies at this place, obviously, and I'm not allowed to talk about it because HR will come storming in here. They'll drag me out. But you can enjoy maximum skin hydration for a more youthful appearance. Go to GenuCell.com slash Clavin and enter code Clavin at checkout for extra savings. Every order placed is automatic upgraded to free shipping. Don't wait. Visit GenuCell.com slash Clavin and enter code Clavin. That's GenuCell.com slash Clavin. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I want Clavin to make nasty remarks about how beautiful I am too. How do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no easy Chapter three, we're all going to die. Uh, I just want to, I actually want to talk about the fact that we're all going to die very briefly because we're taking stock of what's in store for 24. And war is a big thing. You know, foreign policy is a reality check. You want elections to be a reality check, but there's so many things that go into them. And because of populism is kind of irrational, even though it has much good things, many good things to say, it doesn't, our elections haven't been the reality check that they should be. The choices are too limited. But war and Foreign policy and people, countries that you don't control acting in ways that you don't like is a sign that you're doing something wrong because you've become weak. Uh, Barack Obama, the sinister puppet master who hates America and is an anti-colonial and a Jew hater, he meant to strengthen Iran. He did it on purpose. The federal government is now suing Texas to keep them from deporting illegals because they want the border open. I saw Alejandro Mayorkas on Brett Baer's show the other day. He can't give a straight answer to anything. He just keeps lying and lying and lying about the situation at the border, which is uniquely bad. Uh, 
But this is a strategy to, to weaken America. Even, even globalism is a strategy to weaken America, but to continue this welfare state, this deep state that grows out of the great society that has made the powerful people uh, powerful. This is why Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, he was talking about the fact that the people who are in power are not Americans. They're actually supporting something else. This is cut six. If you were asked to develop a strategy to destroy this country, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a better game plan than what Biden and his administration is implementing. The open borders, the massive deficit of spending, sparking 40-year high inflation, a war on fossil fuel, the embarrassing and dangerous surrender in Afghanistan, which has emboldened our enemies, has drawn China and Russia and Iran and North Korea together. Now they're cooperating. Uh, this is a very dangerous world because of American weakness caused by the division that the radical left is pushing on America. So to save their power while their ideas fail, right, they have to weaken America and basically broaden it out so that pe- basically trying to take away the vote. The people in Davos, the globalists won't be uh, you know, uh, responsible to the voters just the way the European Union isn't responsible to the nations. Now, the thing is, America becomes weak. The evildoers of the world start reacting, just like Hitler went into Czechoslovakia because he knew the great powers were afraid of war. Uh, The unheard columnist Aris Rusinos says that this time the evildoers are afraid to come at us full throttle like Hitler did. But he says American hegemony is being challenged obliquely as its rivals nibble at the edges of empire, targeting weaker client states in the confidence that the United States now possesses neither the logistical capacity nor the domestic political stability necessary to impose its order on the world. So we've got the war in Ukraine stalled. Their Ukrainian offensive failed. We can't keep supporting them forever. Uh, Putin is hinting he might make peace, but he'll make it for territory. Israel is so traumatized by the vicious, vicious horrors of October 7th that they now have essentially no eternal internal politics except for killing Hamas. The U.S. wants them to limit the scope of their fighting, but I don't know if they will, and I don't know if we can make them do it either. This decision to go to war or fund war or support somebody else's war is always a prediction of what's going to happen in the future, right? It always means that you're saying, if Russia wins, this will happen, so we have to stop them. If Israel continues or stops, this will happen, so we have to stop them or help them. And we don't know what's going to happen in the future. It's always a guess. And so the people who sound very self-certain are, are lying. They're fools because we don't know. It's always feeling your way with very dangerous things like soldiers' lives at risk. Both, in, to my mind, neoconservatism that just wants to go to war everywhere and isolationism that just says, what do we care if Ukraine falls under? They're not our country, not America. Uh, uh, both neoconservatism and isolationism are mistakes, and each each case has to be taken on its own. What can we do? What should we do? What is our interest in this? What does the future hold? What's the right thing to do? And I think the thing is, the state that we're in, we have to admit this, and this, so this is in this way I side with the isolationists a little bit, is I think before we can do anything else, we have to rebuild our country. We're so far in debt, our military is decaying, The our leaders are anti-American and have hurt America and have damaged America uh, throughout the world. I think Ukraine is finished. I, th- I think Ukraine is finished. I don't think we can do any more than we've done. Uh, I think we have an interest on focusing Israel on the destruction of Hamas, which must be, but we can't let them get to the point where they start a war with Iran. Uh, And these are very complicated things, but just like the Soviet Union after their revolution 
pulled in before they expanded to create an empire. And just like the French, after their revolution, pulled in before they sent Napoleon out to conquer the world, I think this is time for America, because this failure of liberal policies, it's time for us to pull in, reconstruct ourselves, get our America, make America great again, and then we can form the empire that we have to form to keep America safe. And, you know, B- Biden had some very interesting thoughts about this. They asked him about this, and this is what he said. This is cut two. Ice cream, chocolate chip ice cream. So, yeah, we're all going to die. Final chapter, Calendar Girls and Trad Wives. I want to finish this look at what I think 2024 holds in store or some of what it holds in store by looking at the culture because I think the culture always reflects what's happening and what's happening is the left has failed. It's this the extraordinary absurdity of their defense of their policies, which have so badly failed, has made them a laughingstock in the culture. But that doesn't mean the right can marshal what it needs to strike back. So I saw these two comedy specials on Netflix, Ricky Gervais and Dave Chappelle. These are both people that I like very much. I I find them both charming. I find them very talented, and sometimes I find them hilarious. But these are really bad specials, both of them. And they're both the exact same show. They're both the exact same show. They're not funny. Uh, They're self-aggrandizing. And they both, like I said, they both did exactly the same thing. But basically, the last time they were out, they did a lot of trans jokes, and that got them under fire, and that elevated them to cultural icons. And then they said, well, we want to come back and do something else that makes us seem relevant. And so they did a bunch of uh, what we used to call sick jokes, jokes about cripples and sick kids. And uh, the, when I was a kid, seriously, when I was like, 10, 13-year-olds. I had a book of sick jokes like that, and it would be like, can Tommy come out to play baseball? Well, you know that Tommy is a quadriplegic, and the answer is yes, we wanted to use him as second base, you know? Those were sick jokes, and we'd giggle, and it was funny. But these these jokes, you know, and I'm not offended by them. Sick humor is fine, but I just didn't find them funny. Uh, Chappelle's, the high moment of Chappelle's show was when he told the story about performing at the Hollywood Bowl, and a guy attacked him wielding a knife, and all of these backstage celebrities jumped on the attacker and beat him up on stage. So this is what he said, uh, cut seven. We was whooping his ass. Not we, I mean, I was on stage trying to think of a joke to tell, but they was beating his up right behind me. Everybody could see it. Everybody could see it. And I'm sitting up there trying to think of what to say. Um, 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 and, I'm, and I'm tongue-tied. Me, of all people, can't think of anything to say. Look at my karma. Just that moment. Of all the people in the world, Chris Rock walks from backstage walks up to me in front of 20,000 people, grabs the mic out of my hands and looks at the crowd and goes, was that Will Smith? (laughs) So the funniest joke in Dave Chappelle's show was Chris Rock. But the thing is, and then they go on and, you know, Chappelle talks about fulfilling his dreams of becoming a famous comedian, which he obviously has done and surpassed. Uh, You know, Ricky Gervais talks about his love of animals and his raising uh, funds for animals and all this stuff. And I just thought, who cares? You know, this is self-importance that the show is about you instead of making me laugh. So the left comes in and attacks them, and the attacks were valid in the sense that the show wasn't funny, but they kind of said they're not funny like they used to be, but they didn't like them before either. And they kept saying, well, they're trying to stay relevant. That's right. But the reason it's hard for them to stay relevant is because they've won. Because 
the left is a laughing stock because political correctness and wokeness and all this shut up, don't say I use my right pronouns is all ridiculous and people are laughing at it. And the only thing protecting it is the FBI raiding parents, you know, investigating parents as terrorists. You're not going to win that way. Not in America, not in the West. Ultimately, this is going to collapse and it's collapse. And even even so, even though these ha- these specials weren't particularly funny, we know Chappelle is funny. We know Gervais is funny. They'll come back and they'll be funny again. And they're both so much cooler than their critics. This is the key thing. This is the prestige thing. They're both. In- I mean, look, Jeremy Boring, who made Lady Ballers, is now because he made that cooler than his critics. I mean, look at the guy. His name is literally Boring. <laughs> That's, the guy is. I mean, I'm sorry. He's he's the god king, but he's a dweeb, right? The guy- <laughs> And he's literally now cooler than anybody on the left. I'm 172 years old and I'm cooler than anybody on the left because they become scolds and humorless and the stuff they say is all garbage. And that doesn't make any of us, Chappelle, Gervais, you know, Jeremy, me, it doesn't make any of us Winston Churchill. It's just the cool folks laugh at stupid stuff and they're not afraid. That's what you do. And that makes, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that the guy my age is cooler than the guy writing the culture at the, you know, column at the New York Times. That is bad news for them. And it's just true. And they're really getting desperate now. I mean, they're just, you know, Kathleen Kennedy hasn't destroyed enough famous franchises. So she's now given the new Star Wars film to a Canadian feminist documentarian. That's three strikes. She's Canadian. She's feminist. She's a documentarian. Bang, you're out of there. But no, she's going to direct the new Star Wars film. And this is her talking about her point of view. Cut eight. It is important to be able to look into the eyes of a man and say, I am here and recognize that and recognize that I am working to bring something that makes you uncomfortable and it should make you uncomfortable because you need to change your attitude. And it's only when you're uncomfortable, when you're shifty, when you have to have difficult conversations that you will perhaps look at yourself in the mirror and not like the reflection and then say maybe there is something wrong with the way I think or maybe there is something wrong with the way I am addressing this issue. To be fair to her, she's Pakistani. So the men that she deals with may be committing honor killings. And I'm not, you know, saying that uh, she shouldn't have her point of view. But that's an attitude that's going to make a crap Star Wars film. You know, it, the thing is, this is what they do. We talk about it on the right all the time. You want to make a Christian movie? Fine. But don't preach to me. You want to make a conservative movie? Fine. But tell a great story that has conservative implications. Don't preach to me. All the left can do now is preach. You know, over the holiday, I was playing a board game with my grandson. It was a Universal's Monsters. I was a big Universal Monster fan as a kid. So I went sent away for this Universal Monsters board game and we're playing the game. And there are six characters that you can play and four of them are women. And I thought, how many girls are playing this game? Uh, none, maybe, maybe none. And, you know, maybe one, maybe, you know, not that many girls playing the Universal Monsters games. But now he has to choose a female character because there aren't enough male characters going on. At what point, at what point did it occur to these people that their job is to instruct us in morality instead of making a fantastic Star Wars movie or making a fun game for little boys to play monsters with. You know, when did that occur to them? It occurred to them when all their ideas failed and they had nothing to say that was real about humanity. So basically, we know that their movies are over, their comedy is over, their board games are are over. And, you know, you can see that people are no longer trying to live up to their ideals. There's this new trend called stay at home. 
stay-at-home girlfriends, okay? Stay-at-home girlfriends. Uh, you know, it, oh, I, I love the fact that they scold us when we don't show up for their movies. We don't go to Ghostbusters. You know, you're you're not feminist. You go, like, screw you. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you my money. You're supposed to entertain me. I'm not supposed to sit here and listen to you. But anyway, there's this new trend, stay-at-home girlfriends. It's not stay-at-home uh, moms. They don't have to take care of kids. They serve their boyfriends. You know, they make dinner. They do the laundry and all this stuff. But most of their life is spent looking good and doing their content. And and really, and, and they're stay-at-home wives who are doing content too. And this is really a return to factory settings for women, where women take care of the home, create the home, which is the most important place in the world for everybody. Your home is the most important place. Create new life, which is the most important job. Guide new life into becoming human, most important job. But they can also have a financial stake in the world by doing home industries. It used to be making clothes. It used to be making pottery, making furniture. Now it's doing content and doing other things that you can do on on a computer, selling your cookies, selling the things that you make on computer. These are the things that these stay-at-home people are doing. And the journalists, the female journalists, can't write about this and just say, this is what it is. This is who likes it. This is how it's going. Here's maybe a critic's voice. They can't get three paragraphs in before they keep saying, well, financial dependence on your boyfriend or your husband. Hey, believe me, I don't think you should be financially dependent on your boyfriend. Your husband is an entirely different thing, and you're going to be financially dependent on somebody, so it might as well be somebody who loves you, but they can't do it. They just don't have the goods to except that people are going back to what is human, what is, you know, what is good in life. Uh, But just because they've lost doesn't mean that we have won. And I I have to say, I was watching this thing over the holidays, just embarrassing. Uh, And, uh, you know, there was this beer company, it's called Ultra Right. It put out a calendar with pretty conservative girls on it. And unfortunately, they called it conservative dads, real women of America. Now, that's a bad thing because dads should be hypocrites around their children. They should not be looking at, you know, pictures of pretty girls. They should not be hanging up calendars with pinup girls on them because they're dads. So they have to be hypocrites. They should save that for the locker room and they're talking to the other guys, but they want to show their daughters and their sons a little bit ele- of an elevated person. So they lie a little bit. They pretend to be something a little better than they are. But suddenly these conservatives, and I have to include my my lovable friend, uh, Jenna Ellis, uh, and I'm not, this is not a personal attack. This is just a disagreement. She's calling this softcore porn. These are very non-pornographic pictures of pretty conservative girls who we identify with. Riley Gaines is wearing a bikini because she's a swimmer. Uh, Dana Lash, who is lovely no matter what she's wearing. Josie, the redheaded libertarian, has a very cute shot of her baking a pie in the kitchen. And they're pretty girls looking good, but they're doing and they're doing feminine kind of conservative stuff. Men like to look at pretty girls. The GIs who beat the Nazis had pictures in their wallets and on their planes of Betty Grable, who was famous for her shapely legs and her nice backside, because it comforted them and inspired them and reminded them of why they they fight. And the same thing with Lady Ballers. It comes out and it's a sex comedy. There's some sex jokes in it and people are saying, oh, why did you degrade yourself? This is part of life. So here's my, my final word about the conservative culture that now has a chance to build itself both in politics and in the arts, in order to build a new political and artistic culture, you have to ask yourself one question. What is a human being? You know, Matt talks about what is a woman? Yes, what is a woman? But also what is a man? What is a person? The final failure of the left 
is not just their welfare programs, not just the fact that sexual freedom has been a disaster, uh, not just the fact that drugs have been addictive and destructive. It's materialism. It's the idea that man is stuff, that stuff can make him happy, that pills can solve his depression, that birth control changes the moral dynamic of sexuality. I, for my right-wing friends, you know, my right-wing friends who want everyone to suddenly act instead like they're Oliver Cromwell, right, like a Puritan preacher, ask yourself, you know, is there no goodness in God's gift of sex? Is it all, you know, like it's supposed to be neat and fine? This is a Dionysian force that sweeps through every human body, especially in their youth and especially in men. It is not supposed to be tame. It's not supposed to be nice. It is something very difficult to control, and people control it in various ways. And one of them is by looking at pictures of pretty girls that hopefully are not too grotesque. For my Catholic friends who are talking about getting rid of liberalism as the foundation of government, let me ask you this. Is there nothing good about God's gift of freedom of thought? That we're not, you know, the Catholics are saying, well, you have freedom as long as you're doing what's good for the common good. For my friends on the right who think that one size should fit everybody, one kind of life should fit everybody, is there no goodness in God's gift of individuality? The project of the human person and I want to say this at the beginning of the year because I'm going to be hitting on it all year, is not to be himself. The left is totally wrong about this. You're not supposed to be yourself. You're supposed to be the self that God made you to be, the image of God as you individually represent it. It's never evil. That's why we have the Ten Commandments to tell us what not to do. It's never greedy. It's never covetous. It's never murderous. But it can be eccentric. It can be sexy. It can be funny, silly, sometimes out of line, a little foul mouth. Sometimes it can be a lot of different things. That image of God can appear in a lot of different ways. And if we want to take back the culture and if you want to reform the state, this is our moment. It really is. This is our moment. 2024 is the moment. But we won't win if we don't try to understand who we are and why we were created, and what we were created to be. And we can't understand that until we start thinking seriously again about the mind of our creator, who he is, what he wants, and how we can know for sure. 2024 is here, started off right. The fight to reshape our culture has never been more crucial. And at The Daily Wire, we are leading the charge. We've got some incredible things lined up for you this year with new series like The Hilarious Mr. Bertram coming early 2024. It's The Daily Wire's first ever animated series featuring an all-star cast, including Adam Carolla, Roseanne Barr, Megyn Kelly, and more. Plus, brace yourself for The Daily Wire's highly anticipated series, The Pendragon Cycle. We're breathing new life into the Arthurian legend inspired by the works of acclaimed Christian novelist Stephen R. Lawhead. Filming just wrapped right now. You can catch a sneak peek of what's to come with our incredible Pendragon Cycle production diaries at dailywire.com. And the 2024 election will be one of the most pivotal in our country's history. The Election Wire is your source of truth, bringing you everything from the campaign trail to the debates and election day. And for our younger audience, Daily Wire Plus members now can unlock our brand new kids app, Bent Key, at no additional cost. This is where you can find shows that kids love and parents can trust. And of course, you'll be the first to see Snow White and the Evil Queen featuring our very own Brett Cooper exclusively on Bent Key. In 2024, your Daily Wire Plus membership will give you more of me, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, 
Michael Knowles, what can I say? Jordan Peterson, PragerU, but that's just the beginning. This will be The Daily Wire's biggest year ever, but we can't do it without your support. Join the fight to reshape and take back our culture today at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Clavin clapbacks. Well, I've been eating everything that's put in front of me, but I've eaten ice cream, chocolate chip ice cream. Yeah! Ah, I'm never going to get over that quote. All right, from Anonymous. Hello, Andrew, Spencer, and Faith. As I said, I did a Christmas show with the kids, and you should watch it. It's still up. Um, And so here's a letter to all three of us. Uh, I have a daughter who is truly one of the most beautiful souls I have ever been around. It's always been her nature to help where she sees a need, building houses, providing medical care, tutoring in schools and communities where other people are afraid to go. She is a brand new physician, is brilliant, and so has her choice of any residency she wants. She's chosen a dangerous, underserved city. She told us she was gay in her junior year of high school. In her freshman year of college, she asked me if I thought God would let her into heaven. This question broke my heart as I knew she was referring to the Bible's condemnation of homosexuality. I answered her by saying I could not fathom a God who would look in her heart and not want her near. I am a lifelong practicing Catholic, and I just don't really know what to say. Can you and or Spencer help me? Well, before I answer this, and every time I answer these questions, I get in just tremendous trouble— uh, but I don't mind. That's why I'm here. Um, but And I did run this by Spencer, and I'll tell you what he said as well. But before I answer it, let me say I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. Uh, I'm not a, a priest. Uh, and so I don't want to guide you wrong, but I will just tell you uh, how I feel about this. Um, <laughs> it certainly seems to me true that in the Garden of Eden that man, male and female— uh, blended together like mercury, you know, that liquid metal that when you break it up, it just kind of reflows into each each other. Uh, and that in the fall of man, our sexuality was deeply, deeply disturbed. I think this is true of straight men. I think it's true of gay men. I think it's true of gay women. Our sexuality is broken. And there are things that one must not do. And there are thing, terrible things that people do for sex, not just rape. I'm talking about divorce, breaking up families, depriving children of their mothers and fathers. Uh, I, in my youth, when I was not just young, but also mentally ill, uh, did things that I can never make up for that I feel terrible about. Uh, and all of these things are terribly, terribly bad. I, I do think, uh, it seems obvious to me that men and women are supposed to fit together and make new life. But I also think that, uh, you know, that when you are a gay person, this is something that you have to accommodate, and neither you nor I uh, can make the final are going to make the final judgment of what that looks like. You love this child, and this child sounds incredibly lovable to me, as I love my son, who is incredibly lovable. I have people write to me and call him names all the time, and I feel absolutely certain in my heart, because I know that a father's love and even a mother's love, which is the first rule of human life, mother's love, uh, even that love is nothing, nothing compared to the love and forgiveness of God. I uh, I just think that a lot of the people who call my son's name, the last thing they're going to see before they see the face of the devil is his ass receding into heaven as he goes to the father where I believe he belongs. And I believe the same thing of your daughter. Does that mean they don't have to deal with their sexuality like I have to deal with mine, you have to deal with yours? No, of course they do. And what decisions they make are going to be between them and God. I think the thing you can do for them is love them, uh, hope that they have faith, 
and hope that God directs them not as the priests want them to go, but as God himself uh, thinks that they're supposed to go. Let me read a little bit of Spencer's response to me. He was talking about the fact that I just so deeply believe this, that Christianity is not a set of rules. There are certain rules that Jesus mentions that are some of the Ten Commandments that I think are there to make sure you're on the right road. And then there are things that he says in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount that are directions that you should go. But in the end, as we know from his dealing with the woman taken in adultery, it is not a set of rules. And that means that there is no guaranteed thing to do. There's no list of things that you can do. And he says this, when every possible, this is my son Spencer, uh, no relation, but still I think I should read it. When every possible laundry list of safe options under the sun has had been exhausted, and when every ritual and rule had failed to save, God appeared on earth as a living savior whose life could be circumscribed by no law, not even the laws of nature and of death. His life, which will live in you if you let it, produces joy, charity, patience, kindness, and love against such things there is no law. Follow them wherever they appear in your life and root out everything that stands in their way or opposes them. They will lead you to him. I said there was no safe option, but there is a sure and certain option, which is the son of the living God. I can't tell you what to do, and neither can some putts on the street with big theories, but he can. And that, I would say, is well put, and uh, it is my response to you. I can't tell you what to do, and you can't tell other people what to do, but God can, and I hope, as I hope for my son, he follows God, and I hope your daughter does. She sounds like a wonderful, wonderful person, and like you, I cannot imagine a God rejecting her uh, on what is essentially a, a broken rule. That's it for those of you who aren't members who are now in a clavenless darkness, so dark that really hell would seem like, a, you know, kind of a coffee shop. <laughs> Become a member today. Don't let this happen to you. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Claven at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. The rest of you who are the same saved, come over to member block.